We're going to continue our series that's in the second half of 1 Corinthians. Our series is called The Messed Up Church. Uh, The Corinthian church was messed up just like our churches are messed up. And we're learning how Jesus is still the answer to our messed up lives. So you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 25 today. Um, But before we actually get into the text... I figured I don't know most of you. I'm looking out. I probably know half of you. You know, I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, I'm on staff here at the church, so I have met a lot of you. I have interacted with a lot of you, but I don't know all of you. So I want to give you my story a little bit, uh, get to know, or you get to know me a little bit, I guess, and I'd love to get you to know you too if we haven't met. Uh, I grew up in Southern California in the Los Angeles area. Uh, If you know the area well, I grew up in a small town called Norwalk. You might not know Norwalk, but you probably would have heard of a city near it called Long Beach or maybe a city even closer called Compton. So we were pretty close to to that area of town. So we grew up um, not super poor, but but not super well off. Uh, My parents uh, both were not believers. They didn't know Jesus, uh, but they worked really hard uh, to love us and to provide for us. Uh, But we didn't have a lot of, of excess. There were six kids in my family. I'm the second of six. Uh, and when I was uh, about kindergarten, first grade, my parents found Jesus at, uh, they met Jesus at a Harvest Crusade, if you know anything about Harvest Crusades. Uh, so I think they, they met Jesus at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, which is why I'm such a big Angels fan today. I think that's probably the, the fan. We didn't even make the playoffs, but I still love them. Um, but growing up, uh, after that, we started going to church. We ended up being that family that was always at church. Uh, if the doors were open, if they were unlocked... We were there. Uh, we, were, we were doing stuff at church. We were doing all the events. We were, we were serving. But, but honestly, growing up, uh, you know, I got towards the end of high school. I was deciding where I was going to go to college, and I really felt like I didn't have a strong Christian education. Um, we had been at church, but it just, I don't know, something was lacking. So as I was looking for colleges, I, w- I was looking for a, a Christian college that would give me a strong Christian education, that I would, I would learn to know Christ better, I'd learn his word better. And so that was one of my uh, qualifications when I was looking for a school. So I chose to go to school in Southern California. I went to Biola University, uh, formerly called the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. It's a private Christian school, uh, much like UMHB down the road, I think a, a little bit stronger Christian roots and emphasis than UMHB, but I didn't go to UMHB, so I don't know for sure. That's just kind of the vibe I get. So no offense if UMHB really is really good and really strong. Um, But it it was hard for us. We weren't financially well off. I had to figure out how to make it work. It was in, uh, if you know UMHB and you know the big joke about it, uh, then you know a little bit about Biola. I don't know if you know the joke, and it's kind of a little mean, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, Sometimes they call UMHB the University of Money Hungry Baptist because it's really expensive. And Biola was really expensive too, but I, I had worked really hard. I had saved up. Uh, I had gotten some scholarships, and I figured out a way to make it work. And I went to Biola, and I honestly had a really great time. I was living on campus. I was studying God's Word. I was learning. Um, I felt like I was more challenged than I was in high school academically, and I was learning a lot, and I felt like this was really where God had me to be. And so I was attending Biola University, studying sociology and biblical studies, um, and then you know, I had my first year. I finished it, took summer off, was working to be able to pay for school again next year. Uh, I came back to school three weeks early. I was on student orientation staff. It's helping new students get to know the school, 
um, get to know each other, kind of the whole orientation thing. Uh, part of orientation, the last day was this big worship service that we did together. Well, that same day, I had went and had to talk to financial aid and found out that I didn't have enough money to be able to stay that semester at Biola University. So I was at this worship service, and I started bawling and crying and talking to God and trying to figure out, you know, why would you let me come here for a year? Why would you let me do all this in order to fail and not even be able to finish college. You know, I'm the first kid from anyone in my family to go to college. What's, what's going on, God? And I cried out to God, and God brought me an answer in the form of the United States Army. Uh, so my, my dorm neighbor was in ROTC. Uh, he introduced me to ROTC. He said, hey, man, I know it's crazy, but this is an option. They'll pay for your school. We can go meet my instructors. And so I went and met his instructors, you know, I took all the tests and everything they make you do. And so a medical exam and some paperwork later, and they called my school and said, hey, don't kick him out. We'll pay his bills. Just give us a little while. We've got to get all the paperwork done. So by God's grace, uh, ROTC and the Army paid for the rest of my school. And I got to stay at Biola University. And I got to have a good, strong Christian education like I had wanted, like I felt God was calling for me. Um, but three short years later, I found myself leaving California and heading to the basic officer's course in Fort Knox, Kentucky. That's me on top of one of the tanks. I was an armor guy when I was in the Army. Uh, if you are an armor guy or you know an armor guy, you know it's pretty much the best job in the Army, maybe other than aviation, I guess. Uh, we're, they're the only guys we think are cool. But uh, we, we really, I had such a good time at the basic course. I enjoyed that school so much. I mean, it was a school, but I enjoyed learning about what I was learning about. I enjoyed being on the tanks. It was fun to drive them. It was fun to shoot them. And it was fun to make a bunch of new friends from all around the country, uh, people that I'd never met before. And uh, the officer's course is where I met one of my best friends that I had the whole time I was in the army. His name was Tyler Hess. Uh, Tyler Hess loved Jesus. And he was the first person that I met that didn't care what anybody else thought. Uh, and he, he, he would memorize scripture in public. We'd be waiting to do gunnery, and he'd have flashcards, and we would be practice memorizing scripture. And we would memorize scripture together. We'd study God's word together. We'd also write op orders together and all that other stuff. But uh, Tyler loved Jesus, and he had uh, this crazy idea, that I thought, about singleness and, and about his spouse. When we would pray, he would always pray for his future spouse. And... Uh, he didn't have a girlfriend, you know, he didn't have anybody, but he, he always prayed for her. But then he didn't act like he was searching for a wife and he had to do all this work to make it happen. And he was always looking for a girlfriend. He just prayed and trusted God. And so he helped form my idea there of what singleness should look like and what a spouse should look like. So I graduated the basic course. I did the Army's reconnaissance course shortly after and then came here to Fort Hood. I arrived on a Friday or Saturday. I was looking at where I should go to church, what church I should go. I had a few on my list to check out, came to Grace Bible Church, uh, met some of the families who sat around me, decided this was a place to stay. First time I came, bought into Grace Bible Church, this is where I was going to stay, this is where I was at. I'm still here today, so I didn't go anywhere else. Um, and so that was Sunday. Monday, I go and sign into my unit. I sign into what is then third ACR. Uh, I meet um, who's the rear D commander, or the rear detachment commander, 
And he says, great, we're so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you to get here. I have an appointment for you uh, for CIF in about two hours. An appointment for you for RFI tomorrow. We have some pre-deployment training for you. And two weeks later, I found myself on a plane to Iraq. Uh, so... I was like, okay, whirlwind. A few months ago, I just graduated from college in Southern California. Now I'm on an airplane on my way to Germany, Kuwait, Iraq. When I get there, I don't know what's going on. So this is me in Iraq uh, on top of a mud brick building with some of the guys who worked for me. We were doing some scouting or something. I don't really remember. But it's one of my favorite pictures from the deployment. I don't, I don't know. It's just two of the guys who worked in, in my truck in my close vicinity, and we got to go up and do stuff together. I, I really enjoy that picture from my time in Iraq. But uh, on my airplane ride, I'm, I'm riding back, and the guy sitting next to me is a colonel, and I'm like, I'm just this brand new second lieutenant. What's going on? He starts talking to me. Well, I find out he's the squadron commander of the unit that I'm now in. He's coming back from, uh, he took the earliest mid-deployment leave. He's coming back, and I'm joining a, a deployment that's already in progress. And so there's a few other lieutenants with me who are coming over to his unit. He's sitting next to me, basically interviewing me the whole time we're on the flight, um, and when we're done with the flight, we're in Kuwait waiting to come over uh, to Iraq. And he says, hey, I've only got one platoon available. It's a tank platoon. They're in Najaf, Iraq. Najaf, uh, if you know Najaf, it's Najaf. If you don't know Najaf, you can uh, Google Najaf later. He said, tank platoon in Najaf. Uh, I want you to be a tank platoon leader. And I said, yes, sir. And I did it. And so the, the deployment was a hard deployment for me physically. It was a hard deployment for me emotionally. Um, but, but it was good. Uh, but honestly, almost more difficult than deployment for me was the returning home and the reintegration. And it wasn't just for me, it was actually for my soldiers. You know, they had been there a little bit longer than me. They had seen a little more than I had. And when they came back, uh, it, it was hard for the soldier that came back. And he got in an argument with his wife and he was drinking. And so he got in the car and left and got a DUI. So I got to visit him in prison after we got back. Well, and it was hard for the soldier who, as soon as we got home, his wife served him with divorce paperwork and he tried to take his life. Like, that was hard for me emotionally. It was hard for me physically, reintegration. But I continued living out what Tyler and I had enacted. I continued coming to Grace Bible Church. I started serving uh, in the youth ministry, started volunteering up there. Um, and I, I just continued to be where God had planted me, be where God had brought me, uh, and not worrying about a spouse was my goal. Uh, what Tyler had taught me, I was trying to live out. And so I, I just prayed that God would make it happen in his timing, if ever, and I tried to stop worrying about it. Um, and so I did stop worrying about it. Um, and God brought Catherine to the youth ministry as another volunteer, and I was too dumb to notice her. Uh, I was too dumb to notice what God was doing uh, until I did. And so I'm, Catherine and I got married in December of 2013. Um, and little did we know, a couple short months later, I'd be on another airplane, uh, this time to Afghanistan. Uh, we thought I was going to be able to stay back uh, on the rear detachment, be the rear detachment commander but uh, the SCO and God had different plans. And uh, I ended up going to Afghanistan as the S4. Uh, this is a picture uh, that was really fun. It was a couple of people that I used to work with. One was my old boss. One was my old peer. And uh, we all kind of came together from the different bases we were at uh, when she traveled in. She was General Dempsey's aide. So she flew in on Air Force One or two, whatever it is, when he's not actually on it. And uh, we got to hang out. It was really fun. A good, good highlight of the deployment. But this deployment was also hard. Uh, but it was, 
it was hard in a different way. It was hard because I wasn't, I wasn't a platoon leader anymore. I was on staff. I was an S4. Uh, we were closing down bases. We were moving a lot, uh, closing several bases, moved to the next one. Um, there, was, there was a lot going on. It was hard, but it was also hard for another reason. This time, I, I was married. This time, I had another thing to worry about. I had to worry about my wife. Um, and so shortly after getting back from Afghanistan, I decided, Catherine and I decided that I'd get out of the army. Uh, we, we were in talks with Grace Bible Church about coming on staff here. So pretty much as soon as I got out of the army, I started on staff here at Grace Bible Church. There's Dave, Neil, and I. If you remember Neil, he went with our church plant uh, a few years ago. He's one of the pastors over there now at one of our uh, parking lot parties, which will kind of be like the trunk retreat. So join us for that. But I came on staff in August of 2015 when I got out of the Army and uh, started seminary pretty shortly after that. Uh, I did seminary at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, mostly online. It's a school in Kansas City, Missouri. So I did that while I was here on full-time staff and while Catherine and I uh, were starting a family. Uh, I was the youth pastor here originally when I came on to staff. And then with the church plant, we had to do a little bit of reorganization. And so now I get to help out with a lot of the ministries that we do. I get to work with, uh, uh, with Steve and Dania in the youth ministry. I get to work with Heather in the elementary ministry. I also work with uh, Sarah in the nursery and Jenny in the child care. And then individually, I'm also in charge of our partnership and our membership program, uh, as well as the building. So if the roof leaks, you can blame me because the roof really does leak. It's an old building, though. It's an old building. We're working on it. Um, so I really enjoy and am blessed to work here, to be on staff here. I want to show you a picture of my family, especially since the second service. You don't get to always see us. But this is my wife, Catherine, my daughter, Claudia, who's five, Joseph, who's three, and Samuel, who's one. All of them are about to have birthdays in November through January. So they'll all age up six, four, and two. We usually come to first service and sit right here by Manny and Anna. So if you want to meet them, you can come on by first service or in between services and come meet us. If we haven't met before, I'd love to get to know you a little more. Uh, You now know my story. I want to know yours too. So please come up, introduce yourself, um, and I'd love to get to know you. So to recap, Uh, where we're at in our series of the messed up church. Uh, We're in chapter seven. Chapter seven split into two different parts. So if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch Dave's sermon from last week because the two parts are, are, they're part of a whole. I mean, it's one chapter together about marital status, right? And so last week, um, I, I would argue that, it, well, Dave's not here, so I'll say he agrees with me too, that last week the summary is how to have biblical excellence in marriage. Um, so if you are here last week, that's what we talked about. If you weren't here, please go back and watch it. It's part one to my part two. So you can't have one without the other. Uh, I guess unless you are a Star Wars fan, maybe you could watch them in separate orders, right? People watch like two, one, then back to the originals, then three. But uh, Dave ran away. He left me with a second half. And since I'm here, I'm going to agree with myself and say that the second week can be summarized as how to have biblical excellence in singleness. Uh, And if you were here when Shannon Sword preached a few months ago, uh, I'm going to use his same encouragement to you that if there's anything that you're not sure about or you have any complaints, Dave's email address is on the church website. You can uh, talk to him about it. It doesn't land quite the same because I'm on staff here and I always work. works much better for a guest preacher. But um, 
We're, we're really happy to field any questions uh, or comments that you have. So please, please talk to us if you want to talk about the sermon. But like in the time of the Corinthians, our culture today bombards us with views about marriage, with views about singleness. Uh, and and they're, they're different and they give us different messages, and we're always getting this worldview that's pushed on us. Uh, and so I want to address that and look at that, and Paul's going to address that. Um, and so the first, the, the first view that we kind of get, um, well, not first view, but what happens is it becomes an idol. Marriage becomes an idol, or singleness becomes an idol. Uh, and so when I was thinking through this, I was thinking of movies. You know, almost every movie whether it's a love story or not, has a, a message about marriage or a message about singleness. Either you're awesome because you can be single and free, or you're awesome because you have the perfect marriage and, and your life is fulfilled now. And these messages, one, aren't true, um, and two, just they're not good for us uh, because they teach us falsehood. So I, I want to tell you, yeah, about my favorite love story in a movie from The Princess Bride, that I feel like the princess is just waiting for the prince that will come and just tell her, you know, as you wish. And, and, the, and the, the prince or the dread pirate Roberts, who will fight the six-fingered man for her and keep her safe, you know, so there's this idolized view of, of who this man will be who comes to save her. Or, or in other movies, too, where it's, you know, I'm strong and I'm independent and I can take care of myself. So we get, we get different views from the culture about what singleness or what marriage should look like. And likewise, we have another influence. If, like me, you grew up in the church and you were always at the church, then you probably got a different influence. And that influence was probably a really high view of marriage, which is good, which is right. Um, but it, if you grew up in the 90s church like me, you probably have heard about I Kiss Dating Goodbye, right? Or uh, you went to youth group seminars where all you did was talk about how to have good relationships and how to stay pure. And again, good things, but it became an idol in the church. Marriage became this, this ultimate goal of fulfilling your purpose and how you can become fulfilled. Um, if you went to a Christian college like me, you may know the term ring by spring, right? Everyone's goal was to, to get a ring by spring of the first semester. It was this big idolization of marriage. And, and that's not what the biblical text teaches. Biblical, the Bible teaches that marriage is good. You know, in light of the creation mandate, it teaches that marriage will probably be the norm for most people. Uh, if you listen last week, it teaches that you need to be excellent in your marriage. But it also teaches about singleness. And Paul argues this week that singleness, he uses the word better. And I, I know last week we said it's not really better, it's, it's an equal level, and, and that is true. It's not like a hierarchy, uh, but it, it's better missionally, and we'll talk about that today is what he's saying. But um, the idolization of marriage is not what the Christ followers called to. We're called to be excellent in our singleness. We're called to seek our first love and to seek Christ and his kingdom so instead of following what the world tells you, like you've met all the standards, you're old enough, you know, you can get married now, you can be fulfilled, or instead of what the church tells you, um, you know, that, that once you're, you're good enough, you'll be fulfilled, once you've been married, now you're good, everything's good, life is right, I and God, through his servant Paul, want to challenge you to strive for excellence in your singleness. Instead of constantly looking for a partner 
instead of worrying about when and how you'll meet your future spouse, instead of being single and ready to mingle, I want to challenge you to be single and ready to single. And I know that's weird. I'm using a word that's not supposed to be a verb as a verb. But really, it's, it, it's an action. It's a way of being, this, this singleness as Paul presents it. Um, it's a way of living life that is good, a way of living life that is Christ honoring. So I want to encourage you today through Paul about singleness, and we'll touch a little bit about marriage too, but that was last week, so please go back and watch last week if you missed it. If you'll stand with me in reverence and honor uh, for God's word, we're going to read the text today. If you're able, you could stand with me. This is the word of the Lord from, the ver- from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 25. It says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it is to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So that he who marries his betrothed does well, And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us through it. Help us to... Uh, work through texts that are difficult, texts that are challenging. Help us to be conformed to your word. Help us in our weakness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can sit down. Again, reminder that this is part two. I've said it like six times because I really want you to know it's part two and there's a part one and I want you to know it and watch it. I also want you to know before we get too deep into it is that this is weird. This is different. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christ follower, this is going to be extra weird. And if you're not, and you want to know more about Jesus, I would love to talk to you after service. We'll have people up front after the service who'd love to talk to you and pray with you. 
but I want you to know you're going to think we're crazy. This is weird. Why would anyone do this? It's weird. Well, why would anyone do this? Because Paul says it's better. It's better for the mission and it's better for the kingdom. Biblical excellence and singleness. From the whole of biblical text, we know this isn't the only option. I already talked about that. Marriage is a good and viable option. It's what most people will choose. But the church has done a really bad job of treating singleness as a second class, treating the single person as not as important or not as fulfilled. Um, and, I, and I want you to know that when Paul says better, he's not saying that the single person is spiritually superior. He's not saying that they're qualitatively better people. What he's saying is that they have a tactical advantage over the married individual. And Paul's going to give us two arguments why they have a tactical advantage, and then he's going to give us an encouragement in our singleness and in our marriage. Um, So this focus today is on singleness. It's not the state of everyone, but it's important too. And it's important for married people to understand this part too. So uh, I want you to all be engaged with this. I want you to all work through this with us. And I also want you to not feel inadequate if you are married and you already made that decision, even though singleness uh, is better tactically for Christ and his mission. Um, Likewise, if you're single, I want you to recognize that sexual activity does not, and marriage does not belong to the essence of personhood. We're going to see that in the text. It doesn't make you more of a person to be married. It doesn't make you more of a person to have sexual activity. Um, So a summary of where we're going to go, single and ready to single, the action of doing singleness well, having biblical excellence in our singleness. Today, Paul is going to give those two main arguments I was talking about, and then that encouragement. The first argument he gives is that you should be single and ready to go home. Uh, You should be always looking forward to Christ's return, acting like the time is short. You should be single and ready to focus using your time and energy to focus on Christ, to focus on his kingdom, to not be distracted by the things of this world. And then his his encouragement is to be single and ready to be happy, which sounds really weird because we often get told that single people aren't happy and you'll be more happy if you get married. And then you get married and they're like, I don't know, it's a little hard. But, but, But the happiness part is weird. But in this context, he's talking about being content Uh, being satisfied with God's current or his future plan for your life, seizing that tactical advantage that you've been given, whether it's for the short term or the long term. It's helping you be free from anxiety. That's that happiness that we're talking about. So the first bit of the text, single and ready to go home. This is from verse 25 through 31. Um, Most of the time I'll read the text again but I'm going to skip reading the text because we just read it. So I'm going to start clarifying a little bit for us. Verse 25, uh, in the beginning, he talks to the betrothed. And so you're like, well, maybe that's not me. I'm not betrothed. Um, And betrothed kind of translates to today's modern version of engaged, uh, except back in the time of the Corinthians, more or less, not 100%, but everybody would have been betrothed. It was the norm uh, to be committed to somebody from your father, they'd make an arrangement. You'd, you'd have somebody who you were betrothed to. So in, in this context, and in some of your texts, instead of betrothed, it might actually use the word virgin, some different 
um, versions of the Bible use that. Both of those words can be used to mean single. And if you look at the, the top little heading in your text, it probably says to the unmarried and the widowed, right? So this section, when it uses the word betrothed, or if your text uses the word virgin, it's talking about single people. Uh, kind of similar to the army's version of single, right? You're a single soldier until you're married, right? doesn't matter if you're getting married tomorrow. You're still a single soldier and your BAH isn't about to change yet, right? Um, and then Paul, Paul goes into talking about uh, that this isn't a commandment. So this, this text about singleness and Paul uh, giving arguments for and encouraging singleness was not taught by Christ, is what he's saying. But then he qualifies that and says, but I, I'm Paul, I'm giving you my opinion on this subject, I'm giving you my judgment on this subject, and you know who I am, I'm Paul, by God's mercy, I'm a trustworthy apostle of the gospel. So he's saying, this is my opinion, but it's important and you need to pay attention. Not blow it off because Jesus didn't say anything about it. He's saying, I'm a divinely inspired apostle. This is important. Paul thought it was important so much so that that's what he did with his life. He stayed single so he could better the kingdom and better the mission. Um, And then he goes in in verse 26 and he says, that because of this present distress, and when he's speaking there in verse 26, it sounds a lot like he's talking about something that's happening currently at the time of the Corinthians is the reason, the argument that he's giving for singleness. And you would be right if you thought that. They actually were in a famine at the time. It was hard to get food. It was hard to eat. You'll remember in Corinthians that some people in the church were coming to the church service hungry, to communion hungry. And so, so it was actually a time. But if we keep reading, and as we read text, we read it in context, you'll see in verse 29, 30, 31, that he takes this present crisis, this present economic crisis, this present food crisis, and uses it to point the believers to a future kingdom, that this world that we live in is passing away, that this world that we live in isn't everything, it won't last forever, and he tells them, don't treat it that way. He says, because of that, it's good for a person to remain the way they are. Last week and this week, he says, you know, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. His argument for it is that Christ is returning the world is hard. Why would you add extra troubles to that? That's kind of his argument he makes here in, in, in this section. Um, he's saying it's good for a person to remain there where they are, whether they're single, whether they're married. But he also says, I'm not laying down hard and fast rules, right? This is my opinion. Uh, I'm trying to help you think clearly about a difficult subject. He wants you to think wisely and Christianly about subjects that don't have solid yes or no, right or wrong answers. Paul's trying to reshape your worldview, right? We talked about the worldview that's pushed on us, whether that's from the culture, whether that's from the church. Uh, He's trying to reshape your worldview to be Christ-centered. So he's saying, if you're single, be ready to be go, go home. And if you were with us last week, that's the same thing he was telling married people last week. Be ready to go home. Um, so it's a delicate topic. It's a hard topic. And the topic's hard because in the world, we're going to have troubles. And he says the married person adds to them. So just don't do it. 
is what he says. That's his argument. Don't do it. It's going to add to your troubles. And he says, especially in times of crisis, especially in times of economic distress, that should remind us that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we need to be ready to go home. He says, the world has troubles and you don't need to add to them just to meet some cultural standard of what's expected of you. And then it gets into the section where it kind of says, uh, you know, uh, time's very short, so act if you're mourning, don't act like you're mourning. If you're rejoicing, don't act like you're rejoicing. If you have things, don't act like you have things. And that feels like it contradicts, right? We know in Scripture it says there's a time to rejoice, a time to mourn, and it says weep with those who weep. So is Paul saying that? Is he contradicting the rest of Scripture? No. Again, in context, he's saying don't do those things as those who have no hope right? Do those things as though you know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he says, if you're single, be ready to go home. If you're single, be looking forward to Christ's kingdom. I, I have a picture of Catherine's grandma. Catherine's grandma turned 94 last year, and she loves to tell stories. Um, she often tells the same stories over and over now in her phase of life. Um, she loves to tell a story of when her grandma uh, came to Texas in a covered wagon. Um, she tells that they saw lights in the distance, so they sent a scouting party up ahead. And when they came back, they said, oh, it's a small little town up there called Dallas. She loves to tell that story. As she's getting older, her stories are starting to change uh, and get intermingled a little bit, which, which you know, that happens. But what, what hasn't changed with her is her love for Jesus and her love for him. And... Uh, her last birthday, I, I told her happy birthday, and she said, thanks, I hope it's the last one. <laughs> Whoa, uh, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but, but honestly, I should have been expecting it, because she's constantly telling us how she's ready to go home, how she wants to be with Jesus, how she wants to be with her husband uh, who's in heaven with him. So she has this view of being ready to go home all the time. Even on her birthday, she told me, yeah, I hope I don't have another one. Uh, yeah, it threw me for a loop. And I think at the first service I said that, and my wife was like, what? I think she didn't know that she had told me that. But, um, but, but it's easy to do when you're 94, right? It's easy to look forward to, to going home, to being with Christ when you're 94. But we're all called to this kind of readiness, Singleness, singles are called to this kind of readiness. Married are called to this kind of readiness. Paul argues that single people can do a better job of being ready than married people. Their devotion isn't divided. Uh, they don't have to worry about other things and other people. We'll talk about that in a second. But are you living as if the kingdom of heaven is actually at hand? How are you acting like you're ready to go home? Are you trusting the Lord? Because sometimes trusting the Lord, and this is what happens, this is what Paul is saying in the section, sometimes trusting the Lord looks like not placing unnecessary burdens of anxiety on ourselves. So that's the burden he's talking about here and how you can be ready to go home and how singles can do it better. It's kind of like uh, praying for safety on the road and then driving like a madman, right? Don't put unnecessary burdens on yourself. Ask God how you can focus on Christ and his kingdom. Our second point is being single and ready to focus. Paul's going to argue in this point uh, uh, that, that you can do a better job of focusing on the mission. This is that tactical advantage that I was talking about, uh, that missional advantage. So I'm going to read this text again uh, real quick. This is from verse 32 to verse 35. 
Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul's stated mission is freedom from anxieties. It's the definition of happiness, which is the next point in a second. Freedom from worries. He's already established that the time is short. And so he's established that there's troubles in this world and that you should not unnecessarily add to them. So what then? What do you do? And his argument instead, while you're waiting to go home, is to focus. Uh, He says, don't be concerned about the things of the world. Be concerned about the things of the Lord. How to please him. It's not as if married people can't do this. They can. But again, Paul's argument is that being single, you can do it better. Um, He's not saying that married people can't love Jesus. They can. They do. They do a good job of it. If married people couldn't love Jesus, there'd be a prohibition on marriage and we wouldn't be able to love God and be married. We wouldn't be able, it wouldn't be an option. We wouldn't be able to do it. But he's saying the married person has more worldly concerns that draw away his focus from Christ, from his kingdom, from the mission. And so he's saying singleness is better. Uh, Married people rightly have more worries, uh, more worries about their spouse, especially back for the Corinthians, marriage meant children, marriage meant a family. So you had to assume they have to be worried about children. You'd assume they'd have to be worried about a home, about money, especially during this famine, about food. So feeding one mouth versus feeding two, four, six. Where's the wits? They're not here. They were first service. 20, you know. Um, (laughs) But marriage assumed that. And so there would be much more to take away the focus from the Lord, take away the focus from the kingdom. Not that those things are bad. The whole of scripture teaches that those things are good. Marriage is good. Children are a blessing from the Lord, but it's a distraction from serving Christ in his kingdom. And Paul's argument is that being single is better because that a married person's not as free to just up and go, he's saying, to respond to needs as they arrive. A single person is more easily able to focus on Christ Uh, and the focus on the advancement of his kingdom. The married person's devotion is divided, and and they can't focus as much on Christ. The single person has an advantage over the married person because they don't have as many worldly worries. It's a benefit to the kingdom to be married, is what Paul says. I have a picture of the NBA bubble. If you follow basketball at all, you know that they were pretty much the only sport that got to continue and, and not really have a lot of interruptions during COVID because they made a bubble. They basically moved all of the NBA into one location, made them stay in one place. Um, And the ability to focus inside the bubble, they did a little, not study, but they did like a survey of players and the ability to focus inside of the bubble on their basketball career. Some players were able to focus really well 
and did much better that season during the bubble. And some players did really poorly during the bubble. And I had a question in my notes, but it's kind of a dumb one because of a sermon. Which ones do you think were able to focus better? The single dudes were able to focus a lot better. They, they didn't have to worry about their families. They didn't have to worry about people at home because up until the playoffs, they didn't get to even have family in the bubble with them. It was just players, coaches, referees, and like news or whatever. And one of the, the biggest examples I saw this was the coach from the Denver Nuggets on day 60 of the bubble is quoted as saying that it was criminal in nature and maybe not for the reason you would normally think of. Um, he, he, he goes on to say, here, I'll, I'll read you the whole quote. Coach Malone from the Denver Nuggets says, today is day 60, all right? The guys that came down here on July 7th, and there weren't very many of us, This is the original crew. This is day number 60. And the reason I bring that up is because the players have their families here. Now it's the playoffs, which they deserve, which is the right thing to do. And the referees are allowed to bring one guest, which is great for the referees. But the coaches, the coaches are not allowed to bring anybody. He goes on to say, I say shame on you, NBA. So Malone is married and he has two daughters and somehow in the negotiations for how the bubble worked, they didn't negotiate for coaches' families to come. And so he says, shame on you, NBA. This is crazy. I miss my family and I think I speak for me. I speak for my coaches and probably all the coaches down here. 60 days and not having access and being granted the privilege to have my family to me, is a criminal offense. It's criminal in nature, and that shouldn't be at all. Man, he could have preached this sermon probably. It was divided devotion. He couldn't focus on his job, his main mission, because he had another family and kids that he was focusing on. He was worrying about. He had added troubles that some of the other people didn't. So what things in your life are taking your devotion away from the Lord. What do you need to lay aside? And we've already established last week and this week, you can't lay aside your marriage. You can't lay aside your kids. That doesn't work if you're already married. But what things do you need to lay aside to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord? Are you trusting in God with your life? Are you trusting in God with your marriage, with your marital status? Are you trusting in God with your singleness? Because Paul argues that if you are, You'll be free from anxieties. If you are, he says, you'll be single and ready to be happy. See, this is verse 36 through 40. Let me read it again. If anyone thinks that he is not not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, And has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. See, like we talked about, we're being deceived and lied to by our culture. We were being shown marriage as idolization. And the truth is that we're not made complete in marriage and that we're not made complete in sexual fulfillment, but we are made complete in Jesus. So that is the truth. And Paul presents his compelling arguments for singleness. 
If our goal is undivided devotion and focus on Christ and his kingdom, then remaining kingdom, remaining kingdom, remaining single is clearly preferable. Yet, in this section, Paul still insists on Christian freedom. He says it's not a sin, it's a matter of conscience. He says, I think it's better, it's better for the mission, it's better tactically, but it's not a sin. And like we talked about creation mandate, it'll be more normal for most people to be married. But he's saying, if you're convinced and resolved to stay single, then it's the right thing for you to do. And if, and if you're convinced and you want to be married, that's the right thing to do too. So in this text, even in our text on singleness, he's saying marriage is good and you can do it. It's not a sin. So after Paul concedes that marriage is fine, even though he prefers and recommends singleness, he doubles down. He says, if you marry, you do well. But if you stay single, you do even better. Again, not better as in marriage is bad, not better as in a hierarchy, tactically advantage to the mission. You can focus on going home. You can focus on the mission, on Christ and his kingdom. The kingdom goals are more easily advanced. Uh, Again, remember back to last week and even part of this text, each one has different gifts. Some your gift will be marriage, some your gift will be singleness. Marriage was last week. This week, the gift is singleness. Paul urges singleness. It's not, marriage is not to be idolized. It's good, but it's not to be idolized. If it's your gift, live in your gift and you'll be happy, he says. If it's your gift to be single, live in that gift and you'll be happier, he says. It's not as if someone who's chosen singleness or is currently single has chosen second best for their life or even better for their life with this text. Same thing if you're married. It's not as if you've chosen second best for your life or if you were here last week, better for your life. It's about kingdom goals being advanced, being able to dedicate them to the mission. He makes clear what he advises and then he leaves the matter up to your conscience with only one stipulation, right? In verse uh, 39, nope, 40, he gives one stipulation. Only in the Lord, he says, right? You're free to marry. If your conscience says to marry, You're free to marry, only in the Lord, though. He says, you have to marry a Christ follower. Now, if you were here last week, you know he said, if you're married already, now you're a Christ follower, and your spouse is not, you you don't have a right to leave them. You'll be a witness to them. You'll be good to them. But he's saying, if you're starting a relationship, you don't get to do missional dating. You guys heard that term, missional dating? Oh, my, my spouse doesn't love Jesus, or my... This person I want to date doesn't love Jesus, and maybe if I date them, they might learn about Jesus and love Jesus. He doesn't give that as an option for marriage. He says, marry only in the Lord. And he, he does say that in the section where he's talking about widows who are to be remarried, but it's in the context of the greater singleness section. So he just gives that one caveat. He says, no missional dating. I have a picture of Natalie uh, in Guatemala. Natalie's one of our missionaries uh, in in uh, Central America, and she is a single lady who loves Jesus, who looks forward to Christ's kingdom and his return, and she's chosen to live her life so far in such a way that she can focus. I'm not saying she's chosen to be single forever, but I'm saying that in her singleness, she's chosen to take that tactical advantage, to take that missional advantage, and she's gone to a place it's harder to go to. She's gone and entered into danger. Her mother was here during first service. Uh, her mom and dad come to church here still. And uh, I, I said, 
she doesn't have to worry about as much about going into danger. And her mom made this face. And I said, but her mom, you know, her mom probably still does worry about her going into danger. But she, she gets to do that with less worries and less anxieties. She gets to do that in a happier way than somebody who's married. And because she's single. And I'm not, again, not saying that married people can't be missionaries. We have great examples of married missionaries. I'm not saying people with kids can't be missionaries. We have great examples of that. Missionaries we support, families that we support that are abroad. But the, the, the emphasis that Paul gives here is that you can do it easier if you're single. You can benefit the mission easier with less worries. Um, so, uh, the... the other thing, if you were, were, is anybody here for Tony's promotion last week? It was in between services, so a couple people. But she, after, after first service, uh, Tony was a member. She moved away, and now she's at, in Oklahoma. Because of COVID, she hadn't had a church yet. So she came back to get promoted last week. And so in between services, we promoted her. And she talked about how she's been living her life in the military. And she talked about being a child of God first. Her mission and her focus above all else, even though she was in the military, was to focus on Christ and his kingdom. And I thought it was a really strong reminder that this applies to other places. That's not just singleness. It applies to your job. It applies to you if you're married too. So you don't get to skate out of this one uh, if you're married. You're like, oh, I zoned out the whole sermon. Now you got to go back and watch it because it applies to you too. Be ready to go home. Be ready to focus and be ready to be happier because Paul says, if you remain single, you'll be happier. He's saying, if you stay the way you are, like I talked about before, you'll be happier. So in turn, he's saying that to the married people too. If you're living in your calling, if you're living the way God has called you, whether he's called you to singleness for time or for your life, or if he's called you to marriage, he's calling you to do that and to do it well, to do it with Christian excellence and to do it happily, and you'll be happier if you're living in your calling. So can you? Can you be happy and content in your marriage? Can you be happy and content in your singleness? In what God's called you to do, at least for a time? Can you be happy with Christ as your first love? Can you give up worrying about marriage and instead worry about being the bride of Christ? So again, this is about Christian excellence and singleness. And if you're not a Christ follower, it's probably extra weird. If you are a Christ follower, it still is a little weird. It's not what we've been told all the time, but it's here. It's in the text. It's Paul telling us this. But if you're not a Christ follower and you don't know Jesus and you want to, somebody's going to be up here in a minute and they'd love to talk to you and pray with you. I'll be up here too. Love to talk to you. I'd love to pray for you, tell you more about Jesus and what it looks like to have radical obedience to Jesus. But I just want to remind you that what radical Christian excellence and singleness looks like is to be single and ready to single, the action. It looks like always being ready for the king to return, always keeping your lamp lit for the bridegroom to come home, to come for you. It looks like focusing on his kingdom, advancing his mission, and the encouragement that's for all of us is that if you're honoring your calling, whether that's marriage or singleness, that you'll be happier. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even when it's challenging, that we can trust you because you're good and you seek our good. We ask that you'd help us to live in light of your return, that you'd help us 
to focus on your mission, that whatever situation you've called us to, that we would live with Christian excellence. We ask you to help us because we are weak and we can't do it on our own. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.